You're listening to Awakening with Lindley Rose, bringing you stories of transformation, healing, spirituality, and empowerment. As a healing guide with a master's in counseling, I work with clients who are experiencing physical, mental, or emotional challenges, and I help them heal by addressing underlying stressors and teaching them tools for living a more empowered life. To get in touch with me, you can visit my website at lindleyrose.com. For this episode, I had the privilege of interviewing Ryan Keyes, author, love and relationship expert, and intuitive healer. He shares with me his several near-death experiences, his journey to heal from the past, and inspired words for those looking for love. I personally am grateful for Ryan's guidance at times when I have really been struggling in my life, and I am excited to bring you this episode on Easter Sunday, because as you will hear, Ryan had a very profound experience when he was 33 years old, and he was drowning in a river. So I remember taking my last breath, and I breathed in, and I died. And I, I was dead for probably like four minutes, And but as I lost consciousness in the night under the water um some hand reached into the water and pulled me out by my hair and when i was pulled out i was pulled out on the other side of time and space in the daylight next to yeshua and he was being baptized and he said oh looks like you're being baptized as well So I'm so excited to have this conversation with you, Ryan. Thank you so much for being here. That's pretty cool. As you can see, we're at the beach. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am too, actually. You see my yeah. background? <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, Ryan kind of came into my life at one of my lowest points. I just want to share the story really quickly, where I was in really like my, my dark night of soul. I didn't know what that was like until I experienced it really. And I just want to share that when I found Ryan, his words were kind of like a, like this light to me. And I, and I felt, I was almost like this, this anchor to just kind of anchor me in to like, keep taking steps forward. And when we connected, um, you know, I, you, he helped me through some, some of those times. And I just, really felt like his guidance was very inspired. And um, yeah, it was like a really profound and I didn't expect to actually get emotional right now, but it was, um, he's been a, 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 a light in my life. So I just want to thank you, Ryan, for, for everything you've done for me. And I know you've helped a lot of people and just for being here and having this conversation with me, I'm really excited to talk about, you know, hear about your journey and some of the things that you've learned and some of the teachings that you, you know, talk about in your book and, you know, Instagram, YouTube, all of that. So yeah, excited. Life is very interesting. It's almost as if everything we do um, that comes in, I think like it's it's this we're drawn to it i liken it to if you were to kind of like jump off of a cliff and you're just going to plummet to the earth 
<laughs> it's like when you when you're born, you just start to kind of descend into this um, it, journey. Really, it just it pulls you in, it sucks you in. There's no getting out of it, right? So, mm-hmm. I think the the struggle comes from trying to fight it, trying to um, go against it. So, I've had several awakenings, I guess, several different layers um, or or lives have have kind of um, opened up through the course of, because I'm over, I'm in my 50s, right? So it's like everything has gone through this curve. So it's like, I would say like I lived one life up until 16 and had an awakening, which was, again, jumping off that cliff and plummeting into the uh, oblivion of I have no control. All I'm, I'm, an, I'm an observer. And mm-hmm. then at 21, I was born again, as you would say, like uh, another awakening. And then 27, 33, 35. Mm-hmm. So each each element or each aspect is a life unto itself. So mm-hmm. I think that we don't have one awakening. I think, and then we're trying to understand it. And it's we're trying to compartmentalize like, all of this, it's like trying to confine like a nuclear explosion into like a shoebox, right? So there's just too much, there's too many layers to look at it as one experience. So, and when you start looking at it separately and you start seeing yourself as different, really as different parts of people, right? Like you're a different person, you're a different, you're a different creature, so each time you are born again, and it's almost like we're reincarnated several, you know, times in this life. Mm-hmm. So we die and rebirth, die and rebirth. But mm-hmm. nobody's really talking about that we have like this kind of linear reincarnation that occurs in this one lifetime. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to adhere and hold on to the story rather than letting it die, yeah. letting it shift. And I think that you know, that's just how I've always approached it. And I've literally died twice and then avoided death multiple times. So like, kind of like, I feel like I'm like Tom the cat (laughs) with Jerry. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) everything blew up in my face, but, um, and, uh, but, um, it's really not like, like when, like the person you encountered and when you were needing that inspiration. I'm not that person anymore. I'm shifted now, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm somebody completely different Mm -hmm. and we have to be okay with that shifting identity. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why a lot of people are struggling because they're not okay with becoming somebody new. So let's talk about that just a bit. There's a lot of people who are pretty much the same. I mean, they, they don't go through this kind of shifting process as much like there's just a lot of humans who just kind of stay right in their one identity in their one way. Right. They, they think they do. They still do. Um, because a shift see, because you're associating the shift with physical. So mm-hmm. a death, uh, like you could, I mean, cause everybody is, everybody's always on everybody's, um, in front of the bus, so to speak before it like slams on brakes. So there's everyone's encountering a, a near death moment, whether they died or not, they're, you know, a close call every, and that close call is like a wake up call. 
right? It's like saying, man, uh, even like when you're driving and you, you think you're going to get a ticket and a cop pulls up behind you and he drives on, you're like, that's even a wake-up call. Mm -hmm. So I think we're, we're measuring the impact. So mm -hmm. the, where people are thinking, oh, well, I've lived, like if I, I lived in Thailand, I was a fisherman my whole life and nothing really happened and I didn't do the things that you did. But you did, but we're not honoring the base root of the experience and the emotion because loss is loss, right? Success is success. Mm -hmm. um, stress is stress. You know, like not catching a fish because you had to feed your family is, is just as stressful as trying to pay your rent in, in LA, right? Mm -hmm. If not more, if not mm. more. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't, um, I would say that there's no unsung hero or no experience that's less than. Everybody's doing the same work. It's just not apparent because um, we still are measuring things through competition rather than co-creation. <laughs> Ears mm. on the side. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, it's like, there's it, like all dogs are dogs, but there's multiple looks for dogs and personalities, but yeah. it doesn't mean they're not a dog. Right. 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 So uh, I think that, I mean, and when you start looking at it like that, then you start in, in, invoking this invisible grace because mm -hmm. most of spirituality is invisible. Mm -hmm. So the gifts, the successes, the failures, they're mostly invisible. Um, they're mostly intimate internal conversations and people, um, we're conditioned to look for the, the big bang. Mm. What, what's the, why am I here? I got to find the big bang. What if it was just a, it was silent, mm. but deadly. It was like, it's not a big bang. It wasn't a big bang. It was just a, what if it was just a whisper? Let there be light. And it, like, it doesn't have to be this magnitude. Like life doesn't have to. To, for life to mold you and to shape you, it doesn't have to have a magnitude of like, oh, wow, it's, you know, I jumped off a cliff doing a stunt and I almost died. It doesn't have to have that, you yeah. know? Right. And that's what I've learned uh, more and more. I think as I've grown, as I've died and been reborn several times in this life, I've learned the most important lesson is, is that um, spirituality continues to become more and more minimal. And um, the spiritual nature that you show up with becomes more and more invisible and transparent. And mm -hmm. that's the true spiritual gift is transparency and doing acts of, of, of invocation in invisible, right? To mm -hmm. do something because you want to be known isn't spirituality. Right. To do something like to pay it forward, to pay the person's groceries behind you and you disappear and they never knew who you were. Right. right. That's a much more powerful offering to the world than, hey, I'm going to pay your groceries. Let me film you and put you on YouTube. Right. Right. I mean, right. And, I, and I love Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast is badass, but Mr. Beast represents the unawakened aspect of our grandeur, mm -hmm. not our growth. I mean, it's important. But we have to go through that process in some fashion, right? Sorry to run on, but that's just. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's so, it's such a great, yeah, concept to just sit up, sit for a moment and think about, you know, our motivations for doing things, really asking ourselves, why, why am I doing this? Is this for, you know, social approval or is this because I just want to, I want to serve and I want to help people? Mm -hmm. I'm really getting clear right on that inside. 
I want to ask you, you know, if you wouldn't mind sharing about some of the, the, the near death experiences or death experiences, it sounds like you actually, you know, had a, had a death and you came back and yeah, yeah, what was that like? And what, what, what happened? Well, the first time I had my face crushed on the right side, cause I got hit in the face twice with a gun and I went through 13 and a half hours of surgery and two years of recovery. I lost six years of memory and two years of my life. And my dad uh, passed away a year into that. Oh so that was my rite of passage to being, becoming a, what I believe to be a man is. And that experience of death, um, it, was, it was humbling in, in many ways, but also terrifying and angering. So it, it was a, um, the curator of my anger. So I had lived a very unimportant life from my perception up until that point and always been the kid that um, I wouldn't say anything. I would sit in the back of the class. I would not, I would be picked last because I was the shortest, the fattest. I was voted the least likely to ever like get a date or to find, you know, to be successful. Um, mm. And the interesting thing with that is, is that so all of that uh, powder keg of, of pressure was it, it invoked anger, but I wouldn't allow anger. So I never experienced it. So, and, and when you suppress anger, it becomes shame, right? Because you, you feel like, well, I'm a failure because I'm not able to overcome this. And you get angry and all the anger you have for other people, you turn in on yourself. So that's, so you don't blame people outside. You don't blame the bully. You don't blame the, you know, your, your, your parents, you don't blame other people. You start to blame yourself. And that's when you go into the state of suicide and suicidal. Um, so like, even when I was 16, I tried to, to commit suicide. Right. Um, <laughs> so that was my first occurrence with death. I just remember my parents, um, they were going out of town and they would be back the next day. And I could drive. So I was like, well, I'm going to pull the car in the garage and leave it running. Because mm -hmm. I saw it in a movie and I thought, wow, that's the best way to do it. Because I'm a little bit chicken shit, pardon my French, to, to go and to do it in a dangerous way. So I thought, well, you just go to sleep. And um, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the radio. And the last thing I remember hearing on the radio was this uh, this radio show and the guy is like playing a song and the song was just like the song kept saying come find me come find me and um then i drifted off and then the next thing i knew i i was awake and the garage door was open and they weren't home so i was still in the car the car was still running so something had opened the garage door Wow. And it wasn't me. There was no opener. This was back in the 80s. So it wasn't like technological, like somebody's riding around opening garage doors with like some kind of scanner. <laughs> so this was like, you know, this is like old school, everything, pop a latch and make it go up, yeah. et cetera. Um, so the garage door was opened and the entire garage was covered in soot. So like exhaust, you know, um, black. Oh my gosh. So then I became ingratiated with shame again. And I... um I didn't, I didn't exercise through that. I didn't say, well, man, it wasn't successful. I just panicked like, well, I have to clean this up before my parents get home. So I spent all night cleaning the garage. And, um, so that was my first in, in, in introduction to, um, too much pressure and, and not being able to deal with it. And then when I was 21, when I got my face crushed, all of that 
the emotion that I had suppressed for all of those years came out. And on the other side, I had an amazing conversation with this man named Jetty Krishnamurti, who is, um, they thought he was Jesus incarnated, right? They thought he was Jesus come back. They thought he was the, um, the return of the Messiah. He was very popular in Ojai. The Church of Science supported him, Charlie Chaplin, all these people. Ojai and California exist mm-hmm. because of him, basically. Wow. And he sat on this beach and he looked at me and he said, um, so how do you feel? And I was dead, right? I was on the operating table. I was already crossed. I saw my body as I stood up out of it. And I walked up this little trail and I ended up on top of this mountain. And I looked down to the other side, walked down and sat on a beach with this boy. And he goes, how do you feel? And I said, well, um, I feel a little weird. I feel a little funky, to be honest. I, I feel I feel really released, really relieved. But I don't feel um, settled because I don't know if am I dead. And he goes, I don't know, are you? I was like, well, at least you could, you know, give me some clarity rather than a riddle. You know, it's like I'm, I'm here. I, there's riddles and death. I thought these questions are answered. And he goes, well, let's look at it like this. And he goes, so we're sitting here watching the sunset. And to us, this perception, the sun is setting. And it will rise again, much like you may tomorrow. And he said, however, if I could take this chair that I'm sitting in and put it on the sun, it would never set. So everything is a perception. You're not born again. You don't die. You don't live. Everything is a perception. And the energy honors your perception. And then I look back and he was an old man. He goes, see, look, everything shifts. Perception is always shifting. And I never knew, <clears throat> like, so I, I came back out of it. I went through this struggle. It was just hell on earth trying to get back. I had to learn to walk and talk. I couldn't see. Um, just a, a really, a really horrific time, right? Like, um, and then, I, you know, um, my dad passed away. So we lost everything. My car, my, I, I was like, just everything. Um, and uh, so it was a, a real craziness. And so then anger came out. Right. So the anger that I had pushed down for all those years had to be. See, that's the thing. Even in a relationship, the emotion isn't going anywhere. So it has to come out. Right. So Mm -hmm. when people are being healed now or when people are doing all the spiritual healing, if they're not exercising that emotion that's been stored up, um, it's 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 not real. It's an illusion. Their healing isn't real. It's, it's, It's they're pretending to their greatest yeah. depth of perception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I had to go through seven years of anger. I didn't talk to my mom. I didn't talk to, you know, I was like just hell on earth. I went to Hollywood. I became a stunt man. I did I, everything that I could to die. Mm. Everything. And not because I wanted to c- kill myself, because I was tempting death. Because I was like, well, if it's perception, then I'm going to crash this car into that building. If it's perception, I'm going to jump off this thing 10 flights, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, so it was like, I, it became a test for me. And then while I wasn't doing um, soap opera or, or stunt work, I was doing bodyguarding, right? So I would jump in front of like somebody or whatever it might be, right? So I got shot at, mm-hmm. at high driving, all this uh, high speed driving, all this stuff. Wow. And um, then I went forward um, at age 33, I did a stunt and we were on the river and uh, it was at night and I drowned. So I was stuck. We, it went wrong. 
And um, my pinger, like the, you have like this pinger, this light that will go on that you would pull when you, if you were thrown for the boat. And I was underwater, so they couldn't find it as fast. Um, so I remember taking my last breath, which was very crazy, just like to, to, to know that you, this is it. And you're like, okay, so when I breathe in, because I can't hold it any longer, all this water is going in my lungs. I'm done. This is all I've got. And I, at that time, I released all the anger. All the anger was like, I just, and, and it was funny because I envisioned myself turning green like the Incredible Hulk, right? Like, just yeah. like all the anger, like I could, it was just like, because you, you know where anger is held? In your heart. And that's why it's subconsciously we created the Incredible Hulk as green, like the, the mirror of the green root right. chakra. The, the foliage, the feelings. So my, I exploded from my heart and I released and I breathed in and I died. And I, I was dead for probably like four minutes. And, but as I lost consciousness in the night under the water, um, some hand reached into the water and pulled me out by my hair. And when I was pulled out, I was pulled out on the other side of time and space in the daylight next to Yeshua. And he was being baptized. And he said, oh, looks like you're being baptized as well. And I was like, where am I? And he said, do you really have to ask where you are? And I said, but who are you? He goes, oh, yeah, that. I'm not your Jesus. I am Jesus, the Yeshua. I look a little different. Don't be scared. The Jesus that you worship in the future isn't me. This is, it's a manifestation of what all of you needed or wanted, but I'm right here working with my people. I'm trying to, to, I've never left. And my message has always been here. And my time is always here because I've, I've stalled time for me to continue to work for my people here. I was like, whoa. So then we walked for years within four minutes, years of walking and talking and sharing. And he showed me these miracles that, but then he showed me how the miracle happened. And he goes, I want you to see the, the magic behind the side of the hand because you have to go back and tell them that I'm a man because as long as they believe me to be a God, they have an excuse not to come down this path. Mm. They can fail. But if they see that I'm a man, then everything will move. He said, that's mm. why I said a mustard seed. That's a man. One tiny person can move a mountain. Mm. And I was that person. So I went through all of those years with him walking in this near-death experience. And then I finally recovered from that. And when I came out of that, processed the, the, the deeper emotions. There was a lot of confusion because I um, actually was going to be a preacher when I was 21 before I had my accident. And what I'd seen and what he had shown me conflicted with what I knew about the New Testament and all these other things about the Bible, not to a degree where it was blasphemous, but to a degree where um, you really wouldn't listen to anything else in the, in the Bible but what Jesus is quoted saying. Mm -hmm. And then everything else from there would be expanded upon him being a man uh, mm -hmm. on a mission. Um, so, but... And then after that, I went through cancer, right? The following year, um, I went and I was working. So that was 
that was the next to the last stunt that I ever did. The, after that, I was working and I was doing a, a motorcycle stunt and I broke my back. And, you know, it's like, man, I really can't get the message. Um, so then I couldn't, I couldn't walk for two years. And this is the, the part of me that broke me to humility, where mm -hmm. I lost my physique. I lost everything that I had manufactured, um, the material aspects of life. I used all of my money to um, heal myself because I didn't have health care that was qualifying enough to make me walk again and, and stand up straight and have no pain. So I went and I studied in China and I did other stuff. Um, uh -huh. And so each level of, of death experience was a death to an aspect of an emotion that I had held on since zero to six years old, like the Jesuits say. Mm -hmm. So those first seven years are so forming that they are the fuel for everything that you face the rest of your life. And that's why I say the magnitude of your life in front of people or what people perceive as to while well, you went through a lot of stuff or didn't go through a lot of stuff, it doesn't matter. It's all emotion, right? Mm -hmm. So then those death cycles released emotion that was unaccessible. Mm -hmm. And to access that, I had to crack open the soul. And to crack open the soul was when I experienced these near-death moments. So I wouldn't say, it, for me, it, it means, basically what it means is, is that I was much more hard-headed than somebody else, right? So mm -hmm. I like to say this, like I said this to a friend of mine, I said, imagine for a moment that um, all the people we see that we perceive to be not awakened or not where we would think we would be, what if it's, if you flip the script on from a humble place and think, wait, maybe I'm the one that sat in the back of the class. Maybe I'm the bully. Maybe I'm the one that was cracking up the class clown and didn't get consciousness. And they're here mm -hmm. holding space for me so that I can learn vicariously through them. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, you have to approach life this way. Otherwise, you'll get lost very quickly. And then the way that your loss is corrected is you lose your life in some way. And you're going to be born again through the trial and tribulation like Job. Mm. So, you're going to invoke this this death walk, that dark night, because you're refusing to listen and you're not processing emotions from the deepest level. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the greatest emotion that we experience or process, other than anger, is love. Mm -hmm. And love was the one I liked the least. I hated love. I mean, oh, when I was in my 20s, I couldn't stand love. And Why? I always found, yeah, I just couldn't. It was just, it, it, it seemed illogical to me. Mm. Right. And, um, I would date, I would do all these things and I would, I would, um, always be drawn back in even then, whether it was working for a, um, match.com or eHarmony or a company called together, whatever it might be, I was always drawn back. Uh, like I had the, the skill to make match, make people. When I was in high school, mm -hmm. I made money writing poetry and selling it to people for their girlfriends to get back together. <laughs> right. Wow. So. And, and you and, yourself did it. I hated it. Yeah. I hated it, but I could write about it because I could look at it as if it was not like I could express it, um, but I wouldn't engage mm -hmm. with it. Like I could, I could witness it. Right. So yeah. I had full observation of what love actually is and how to affect it and how to invoke it because it, I mastered it in my mind because it no longer affected me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then I started really 
looking and even when I wrote the book, everything started to shift and I started to see, you know, well, everything that we think about love is really how we look at ourselves, And the people that we're attracted to are the elements either that we are trying to um, ingrain within ourselves. Like we're, we're looking for someone that, ha- that mirrors our, our, what we would want to have as a strength or we are, you know, and, and I'm not talking about lust cause that's not really love. That's more of a primal, like I'm going to just, you know, have sex, et cetera. But uh, when people are really honestly, and that's a very interesting uh, term, right? Uh, when they're honestly looking for love, when they're transparent about their, um, their ability to love, most people actually probably wouldn't wouldn't be so hard on themselves for being single because they would realize they're not even ready for, to love. Right. Mm-hmm. So even when I wrote the book, the book is out actually more about becoming ready to love than it is finding love. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just didn't about that. I want to just share that. Well, you know, ever since that time, when I reached out in Illinois, I thought I was looking for love and I, I really wasn't there yet. I wasn't at a point where I was ready. I wasn't ready. Uh, well, I'm still not ready. You know, obviously I've had a lot of work to do and I I'm still doing it, but I, I just want to note that the book that Ryan wrote, putting the soul back in soulmates, um, it's, it's like a workbook. It's really like more of a workbook. It's not like one of those books that you just read like in, in two days and you're like, okay, next. No, it's like, it takes you through all the questions that you need to ask yourself and like journal about and reflect on. Like it can take days to reflect on one question. I mean, weeks, you know, like, but they're the real questions that really get you thinking about what you're looking for, what you're ready for and how to love yourself in preparation for that, because that's really the key. And if you think about it, even being a mom, right? So um, the one thing that we're so focused on is how to find love. But the greatest way that we find love is by giving birth to it, Mm. right? Um, Whether it's metaphysically or physically. So the ability to give birth or the ability to have a child is an access point for you to be able to expand the consciousness of everyone by basically, again, invoking love through the child mm-hmm. and teaching the child about transparency and love. And, and we hear, and you'll notice what we'll hear because everything is a dark mirror, right? The Mayans used obsidian as a scrying tablet and they would use the reflecting pools to be able to journal the, the constellations because they couldn't look up because it would hurt their neck. So they would look down at a reflecting pool and be able to plot in reverse because it's reversed, right? Uh-huh. Like the, like your reflection is reversed. Yeah. So we use this, this, these terms and we hear these terms like transparency is a big term that we hear or accountability or authenticity. Um, when those words are active in the world around us politically or whatever, What's happening is, is that we're witnessing the, actually the opposite of those words invoked in love, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because transparency doesn't have to be proven. It's not questioned. Transparency doesn't come from outside in. 
Like mm-hmm. I can't show you transparency. I can only become transparent. Like, give an example of this. Um, for instance, um, if like when they're talking about, oh, well, we need transparency with a law, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, like transparency on your intentions. Like, you know, if it's a relationship and you're saying, and somebody says, well, you're just not being transparent. Mm-hmm. Well, they've always been transparent. It's just the transparency that you're, that you're witnessing isn't to what you want. Mm-hmm. So you're not being transparent to yourself. Uh, See, because everyone is always being themselves at the degree that they can cope with that. So if somebody's a a real uh, a-hole, that's who they are. Um, And they're that person because of all these hypercharged emotions that have not been released, right? right? Um, They haven't been able to go through these hypercharged emotions, but they're transparently being themselves. A narcissist is, is transparent. Yeah. But because you can't witness the transparency, we believe that that's their fault and that they are fooling us, but we're actually fooling ourselves. And that's Mm -hmm. why trust is only an inside job. Mm -hmm. I can't earn your trust. You Mm -hmm. give it. And you give it when your abilities of discernment have been engaged because you trust God or source, whatever you call it. So much that you know, no matter what your decision is, it's going to go the way that it needs to go. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're trusting in purpose. And, and again, this is where we talk about hindsight. If you were to look back at your life, everything actually worked out. So if that's the case, why would you be so concerned that it wouldn't in the future? Right, right. So for someone who is feeling like, you know, they want to have a partner and they're kind mm-hmm. of looking for that. What would you tell them? I mean, like, just stop the search, just trust everything will happen. Like what, what would be a good approach f- for someone like that? Well, okay. So a lot of times, like, uh, let's, let's kind of relate it to like a job search. Because there is a level of activity that has to occur in order to activate the electrons to mirror our intention so that they say, oh, wow, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Hmm. So they honor your excitement. So I'm not saying to not be excited about love. I'm not saying to not be excited about what it's going to feel like or what it's going to like, how you're going to feel, what you're going to, how your glow is going to go, what you're going to like, how you're going to be able to show up when that love is around you. 100%. And that's when I do the, the mirror work, right? That's one of the parts of it where you look at yourself, but you don't put a a name or a face with the the love. You learn to not give the feeling of love to um, the future, but you pull it from the future and give it to your present self. So you train yourself not to see your experiences. You train yourself not to see your past because it can disempower you. That's why when people look in the mirror, they see themselves as like, they'll say, oh my God, I look, I'm fat. I don't like the way I look. I'm getting old. I don't like that. But it, it, what you're, you're, you're judging yourself from an, a point in the past, mm. right? Mm-hmm. We do that with love. So the only way is to get excited, like if you were going to look for a job, and normally the best jobs you've ever gotten were word of mouth. <laughs> right? The best things that have ever happened to you generally came to you um, freakishly because the electrons, which was energy, which is God, because God shows up as particles, 
um, they love to surprise you. I mean, the universe loves to surprise us, right? I mean, it's just like a parent. It wants to surprise you. It wants you to believe in Santa Claus, right? Mm -hmm. It wants you to believe in the supernatural. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's going to give you opportunities in the way that, so you, you like, I imagine like if I'm looking for a job, well, I'm going to just be very positive at the job that I'm in. I'm going to do the best with what I'm already doing because then I'm sending out this strong energy of, of someone's really pleased with me right now in my work. I'm proud of my work. Even if I was working at uh, Krispy Kreme, right? I'm going to be making the best donuts that I've ever done. And it's going to be great. I'm going to make some delicious donuts. I'm not going to hate my job because now I've actually limited my ability to leave the job. Because when we instill an emotion like hatred or like disdain or all these things, they don't come from, they're not planted in the present moment mostly. They're planted when we were zero to seven and they're triggered now. Right. Suddenly they sprang up and we think that, oh, wait, that sprout just came up on the soil now. That's, it's this man, it's that job, it's that person. But it's not. It was planted a long time ago. Like you don't get cancer to, today because today. Mm -hmm. When I went through cancer, my cancer started when I was six. The programming instilled and it found resources to overturn my natural laws of survival. Basically, it literally found allies within my body to create a destructive force to take me out of this world. And the interesting thing about that is that it takes a long time to, for your body to rally against you. And even when we're looking for love, love everything and everyone around you as much as possible and love will come to you. Yeah. You can still put your, your profile online. You can still go out on blind dates. But when you go out on a blind date, like I say in my book, don't go out with the intention that, oh, wow, this is not the one. I'm done. What if that person knows the person that you would meet and be your happily ever after? Mm. We yeah. do not know. It's like Kevin Bacon with his seven degrees of separation. We yeah. don't know who knows the person that would be something for us. So how do we know? You know, how do we know to say, no, I'm not interested in pursuing this or yeah, I want to go on a few more dates because I might meet someone through this person. I mean, so miracles aren't manufactured. They're manifested. They're experienced. Imagine you go out and you're having a coffee date and it's just not a, not a um, physical or, you know, there's no spark for that love yeah, and you, and you let them know. I mean, because you have to have that level of honesty, and and that comes from internal transparency. So you say, you know, hey, you know, I really enjoyed our conversation. I don't, I'm not, not in the way that I think that we would be either. You know, there's, I'm just not feeling it romantically. But if you wanted to hang out, I'm more than welcome to because you know I'm very selective my friends, but you're a really nice person, and I enjoyed the conversation. So you give them the opportunity, right? You give them the opportunity because you're open. You're always open. The moment you close off, you're, 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 you've, you've canceled yourself. Mm. And that's the problem. We close off because we believe ourselves to be protecting that it's in our mm -hmm. best interest. Ghost, delete, cancel, walk mm -hmm. away. Now, there are times in which you have to sever connection because it's something dangerous. Mm -hmm. Right? If it's a stalker or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is be open and be honest, be honest with the people that you're right. interacting with about what you like, what you don't like, what your intentions are for what you want to, what you want that to be like with them, that relationship, friendship, whatever it is. 
Right. I appreciate everything that you've shared. Um, I think this is, it's all so interesting and yeah, it's great to, to think about all these things in different, deeper ways. And it all relates to love, which is kind of funny, right? And you have to understand we've, we've been indoctrinated to see someone fall and find and lose love in a two hour time period. Right. So, um, the most malleable part of our being is our mind and our mind locks on to anchors. And when we see this happen in a movie at fast forward, our mind doesn't understand because it's triggered through different emotional placements in the movie to, to spark the heart. That's why we'll cry and things like that. And that's mm -hmm. on purpose. And then it, it brings us into this space where we're, I don't want to say brainwashed, but we are definitely, um, we are transposing that movie and what happens within that time period on why we aren't having love. Right. Right. So love true. can take a lifetime to find. And even if it did, if you found it before you died, it's so worth it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Awakening with Lindley Rose. These conversations are so important. I hope you will like, share, subscribe, comment, and we'll see you next time.